Hello, welcome to River West Church. My name is Eric Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21. So, in my role here at the church, I get to do a number of things. Uh, which I appreciate, sort of just the diversity of my role. I get to uh, help form community groups, which is one of the ways that we live out the, um, the teachings of Jesus here at our church. I also get to teach classes like Understanding Baptism. I'll be downstairs today if you want to learn about that and uh, introducing River West in a couple of weeks. Sometimes, I, sometimes they let me lead worship. Uh, sometimes they allow me to do announcements And uh, my announcements score points for levity, but very low scores in useful and accurate information. If you were here last, like that, I don't even know I'm preaching today after that announcement. That was like magical. Last week I gave an announcement and I, um, and I, and I sat down next to my wife who I love and who loves me. And she looked at me and she's like, do you have any idea how long winded you are up there? Do you even know? I don't. And sometimes they let me preach. So speaking of long-winded forms of speaking, here we are. Uh, It's been been a minute since I last preached. It was was early February. Since then, the mask mandate has been lifted. And I I guess I'll just say about that, it's nice to see some faces to know kind of how this is all going. um, It's helpful for me. And, um, but also in the last month, our, our attention, I think our, our collective attention has been drawn to the great evils in our world and in war and um, not only wars, but rumors of wars in our time. And, uh, you know, when I prepare for a sermon, I, this is probably because I led worship for so long, I usually prepare sermons by like, um, by singing and just playing guitar to Jesus in my office, and I was I was preparing for this for this um, time that we'd spend together today, and I was I was singing and thinking of that song that we sing sometime. It starts like the worship leader. It's like a call and response song. It starts with the worship leader singing out, "Do you feel the world is broken?" And you sing, "We do," and we do feel it. We don't just read about it. We actually feel. The brokenness in our world and our attention is drawn to it. So in a world where our attention is constantly drawn to a global pandemic, to political division and wars and rumors of wars and the events of the Oscars last week and all the other things, what I would like to do today is talk to you about Jesus. Is that okay? Okay. If it's not okay, this might not be, I mean, everybody's welcome here, but this might not be the place for you. This is what we do. I want to talk about three things about Jesus with you this morning, who he is, what he's like, and finally, his very heart, his heart for you and I. And the title of this sermon is going to be The Gentle King. And so I should say this, we're going to take a short break from our series, preaching verse by verse through Romans. We'll pick that up again right after Easter. But next Sunday um, is the um, Sunday before Easter, which is historically and traditionally called 
Palm Sunday. That might mean something to some of you and, and not something to others of you, but it is a week in the church calendar that um, the church considers what is called the triumphal entry of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem for his final week of ministry before the cross. And this portion of scripture that we'll look at today, it's, it's, it's so important in the biblical story that every one of the gospels talks about it. All four of the gospels brings us to this event called the triumphal entry. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next two weeks considering it together and learning from it about who Jesus is and what he's like and his heart for us. So Matthew 21, starting in verse one, are you doing okay? Okay. I'm going to read the Bible to you for a minute. Is that okay? All right. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Humble, but that, that word there is gentle. Your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and, and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And this is God's word to us. Who is this? That is the question that many asked as Jesus rode in on a donkey. And again, that's what we're considering today. Who is Jesus? Let's start by talking about who he actually is and specifically who he is as revealed in these verses. You'll notice that there are people and they are singing to him as the son of David. Now, there are many titles given to Jesus throughout the gospels and, and, and throughout his life and the son of David was one of them. It is perhaps Matthew's favorite way to refer to Jesus. And so he uses it frequently in his gospel. But what does the phrase son of David actually mean? In short, it means that Jesus is the king, but not just any king. Jesus is the messianic king, which was a promised king that would save and deliver God's people. This king would come from the line of David. If you know anything about you know, the bi biblical stories, we know that David was Israel's greatest king and he was used by God in profound ways, including even just the writing of, of scripture that we now read often in the Psalms. And, um, but David, we also know, was severely, severely flawed and his sins led to a divided kingdom. 
And Israel was promised that one day there would come a king from the line and lineage of David who would be without flaws and who would save God's people and who would unite them together, just to each other, but also to God himself. Now, Matthew's gospel, I know I'm doing a little bit of back work, but we haven't been in Matthew's gospel. So some of us are wondering, like, what is, what is it about? Well, Matthew's gospel begins with a painfully long genealogy. Some of you know this. This is like if you're doing Bible reading, this is the part you skip, right? You're like, oh, it's he begat. Never mind. You know, so you just move on right past it. But that genealogy has a purpose. And it's stated in the very first verse of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, that Jesus is the son of David who's come from the line of David as the world's true king. And so throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, we see him healing sickness. We see him turning water into wine. We see him feeding crowds of people with just a few loaves of bread. We hear him teaching about the kingdom of heaven, which is breaking into earth through his life. We see him forgiving sins as if he had the right to do that. And he does many, many things. And, and oftentimes, those who encounter Jesus begin to realize and, and see with clarity who he actually is. And so people will encounter Jesus and they'll say things to him like, you are the son of God, or you are the Christ. Or often in the gospel of Matthew, they will say things like, you are the son of David. And so what does Jesus typically do when people say things like that to him, he says, don't tell anybody that. Part of the, one of the main parts of the ministry of Jesus is shushing people who begin to understand who he is and what he has come to do. They start to say, oh, this is, this is, this is who you are. And Jesus is like, shh, don't, don't tell people that. And it's not because he's confused about who he is. It's not because they are wrong about who he is. It is because he knows that when that truth get back, gets back to the powers that be, i.e. religion and Rome, that they will kill him when they find this out. And so Jesus goes along in his ministry and he's shushing people who are talking about him in this way. But right before the passage that we read this morning, at the, at the end of Matthew chapter 20, Jesus is walking along in, um, from Jericho toward Jerusalem. And we're told that a couple of blind men see Jesus walking and they call out to him, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And this is the first time where Jesus doesn't shush anybody for saying that. He's like walking along and they're like, Lord, have mercy, son of David. And Jesus turns and he goes, yeah, that's me. In fact, Jesus turns to them. They say, there's the son of David, and Jesus simply turns to them and says, what can I do for you? It's like when a waiter walks by in the restaurant, and you're, like, you're thinking, you think it's a waiter, sometimes you don't know, and you're like, hey, waiter, and they turn, what do they say? What can I do for you? So Jesus here is accurately identified, and he turns and immediately asks these two men, what do you, what do you want from me? Because Jesus is ready for 
the whole world, or I guess in this case, the whole city of Jerusalem to know who he is and why he came. And that brings us right into the text that we see today. It is called the triumphal entry. Jesus is king and he is no longer concealing that reality. It's time for him to announce that. And so what we see in these first few verses of chapter 21 is we see Jesus, the event coordinator, okay? Jesus is coordinating the, the events. He's orchestrating the events that will certainly lead to his death. And that is what he is after right here. So this is what happens. He tells his disciples, he says, go on into the city or go into the next village. And when you get there, you're going to find a colt. You'll find a donkey with a young colt next to it. And he says, what you need to do is bring that to me. Now I want you to just consider like you're one of the 12 and this is the instructions of Jesus. And he's like, does anybody want to do this? Like, I need you to go into the next village and I need you to steal a donkey from me. I imagine the disciples are like, you know, what we loved was when like there was a bunch of hungry people, like a room like this and there was no food and like you, you gave us all this food and we handed it out. Like everybody likes us when we do that, but you're actually asking us to do like theft for you, Jesus. And I love Jesus's response to them. It's actually supposed to be comical. He's like, just tell them the Lord needs it. So around here, like I, I work here and I, I know when, when there's food around here, like, so like a couple times a year, there's a potluck for the, the river, the women's Bible study. And like me and Colin will sneak in and, and like, we don't belong here. And people look at us like, that's not for you. And from now on, it's like the Lord needs this. <laughs> just, just try it. <laughs> The Lord needs it. People are like, oh, okay, okay, I guess so. So this is Jesus. He sends them on. He's like, look, this is, this is, this is the way it's going to work. He's setting it up. He's coordinating the very events that will lead to the most important moments of his ministry, his death and resurrection. And so what Matthew tells us in our text today is that this whole thing, it's not just a setup, but it's a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy about the messianic king who would one day come and rule in a far different way. And so rather than kind of like rereading what Matthew says here, I want to invite you to turn back, uh, turn to the left in your Bible. Just, um, it's not that many pages. It's like 30 pages to Zechariah 9, chapter 9. If, you, if you've been around the Bible, you know that sometimes just a few pages actually equals like hundreds and hundreds of years. And that is the case here in this text. Matthew, in, in the passage we read, is quoting almost directly from Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy. And I want to just read this to you, and I want you to listen carefully. Um, think about the event of Jesus riding in a, on a donkey, and then, and then hear these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous in having salvation is he. And then it says this, humble, but really it's this word, gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the, the foal of a donkey. And then it says this, think about this. We're talking about a donkey. And then it says this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he, this king shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of 
the earth. Zechariah the prophet says, behold, the word behold means you need to look at this. Behold, your king is coming. And how is he coming? Humbly, gently, on a donkey. Zechariah said that one day there was a king who would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and this king would bring to an end the need for the chariot and the war horse. Okay, let's turn back to Matthew 21 and we'll make sense of this. As Matthew writes these words, Jerusalem is currently occupied by the greatest empire that the world has ever known at this point, the Roman Empire. And Jerusalem, we'll just do a little, a little history here. It, in its history, Jerusalem has been destroyed twice. Like literally the city has been destroyed two times and rebuilt. It has been besieged multiple times. It has been fought over dozens of times. And so where I'm going with that is there has been more than a few triumphal entries into Jerusalem in years past. In fact, in 332 BC, Alexander the Great, remember world history? Alexander the Great rode into Jerusalem and claimed this place is mine. And his army was so vast and so powerful that no one even tried to stop him. It's a triumphal entry. What do you think he rode in on? A war horse and a chariot. In 143 BC, so like 170 years before our text today happened, before those events, there was a Jewish freedom fighter named Simon Maccabeus. And Simon Maccabeus fought off the enemies of Jerusalem and he secured independence and freedom for God's people. He was a hero. And wouldn't you know that after defeating Jerusalem's enemies, he rode back into the city triumphantly and the people greeted him by what? Waving palm branches and singing Hosanna in the highest, which means God save us. There's been many triumphal entries. But eight years later, Simon Maccabeus was murdered. And yet just another sort of tragic and, and failed revolution. And eventually as kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall, Jerusalem would be conquered yet again and this time by Rome. And that is the ruling power as Jesus on a donkey triumphantly rides into the city. And if we're really honest with ourselves as we read this, it's, it's almost a joke. The triumphant entry. We've seen kings come and ride in, but they don't ride in like this. They ride in with power and might. And so what Jesus is doing is he's first telling us who he is. He is the messianic king, but and here's how we move forward in our time today. He's also telling us what he is like. What kind of king is Jesus? Dale Bruner's a scholar who's written a lot about the, the gospel of Matthew, and he says this. I think we have this quote. He says this. He says, Matthew's description of Jesus riding in on a donkey 
instructs his people visually with the truth, both of who Jesus is. And I like this. And of how he wants to be who he is. Jesus is telling us that he is the king, but he is telling us what kind of king he is. And we learn a lot by G- about Jesus by what he chooses to ride into the city. Again, Jesus is not on a war horse, he's on a donkey, and that means something. So the Simon Maccabeuses of the world and the Alexander the Greats of the world would ride into a city on a war horse or perhaps in a chariot. And what they're trying to do is communicate that this place is theirs because of military might. They conquered it through violence and by rule and force. And those kings, when they enter triumphantly, they're telling you also how they will continue to rule that place. And that is through force and violence. And here comes Jesus on a donkey. And what it means to ride a donkey, it means to say this, I come in peace. And this is the way Jesus comes in the triumphal entry. So at this point in the story, there's people cheering, they're waving palm branches. I imagine Jesus is kissing babies or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like everybody loves Jesus. But many of these same people, hear me, the, hear me now, many of these same people who sing Hosanna to the son of David in just a week's time will cry out, crucify him and they'll say, you know what we want is Barabbas. Barabbas was a prisoner who had led an insurrection against Rome and was imprisoned for that. It was totally violent and corrupt and in all sorts of ways. And the people of Jerusalem say, we would rather have that than the Prince of Peace. And many people continue to say that about Jesus and about what he's like. We want a king who will break the war horse, they said. We want a king who will crush the Roman Empire. But what Jesus is communicating as he comes in peace, but as he comes to rule and reign, he is communicating that he has not come to crush Rome, but he has come to defeat an even greater enemy, the true enemy of God's image bearers, which is sin and death and the devil. Jesus says, I've come to crush that war horse, and I will. But Jesus does it by coming in peace. And not by taking over, but by giving himself over even to the cross. So what we learn about Jesus, what he's like when he, when he comes in, is that he comes in peace. But there's even more that the donkey sort of represents in our story. Turn back to Matthew 21 and look in at verse, at verse 5. I want to tell you something else about the significance of a donkey. Here's what it says in verse, in verse 5. It says, behold, your king is coming to you. Again, that word is gentle. We'll, we'll get into that word more in just a minute. But your king is coming to you gently and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Do you know what a beast of burden is? Besides an, a really good song by the Rolling Stones. Am I, I'm not dating myself with the nine. That didn't work. That dad joke didn't work. Is it really? It's a great song. Come on. Okay. Um, a beast of burden. Wow. This is on camera. A, a beast of burden 
was an animal whose purpose, whose very purpose was to carry a load. A beast of burden was, was an animal that was not meant to crush sort of through force and might, but, a, but an animal that was, whose purpose was to carry burdens, to carry a load. The war horse would crush its opponents, but the donkey would help, would come in peace, gentleness and humility. And Jesus is giving us this visual representation of what he is like. He says, I'm like that. The reformer Martin Luther wrote about this passage and he said this, this is, this is really good. Do we have it? Okay. He says this, he says, the gospel wants to entice us to faith above all else. He, Jesus, is presented as sheer grace, humility, and goodness, and whoever believes that of him is blessed. Look at him. Behold, he rides no stallion, which is a war animal, and he comes not with fearful pomp and power, but sits on a donkey, which is no war animal, war animal but which is ready for burdens of work that will help human beings. Thereby, he shows that he does not terrify people, to drive or oppress them, but to help them, to carry their burdens and take them on himself. So what kind of king is King Jesus? He's not like the conquering rulers who come to meet force with force, to meet violence with more violence, to meet strength with more strength. I mean, consider this, consider like if you, in the Old Testament and on into the New, there are many, many enemies of Israel, Egypt, Canaanites, the Philistines, Babylon, Assyria, Rome, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But the real enemy of not just God's people, Israel, but all of humanity is sin and death. And Jesus is coming to us and saying, that is the enemy I will crush. The truth is, is that sin and death is the great burden that human beings carry. Every one of us carries it to some degree, whether it's the fear of our sort of pending death, whether that seems that it could be soon or, or years out, or whether it's the weight of sin, the sins of our past, the sins of our present. It is a burden that we carry. And Jesus comes on a beast of burden, humbly, and says, I'll take that. This is the way he actually comes to us. But something in our mind tells us like that, that actually doesn't work. You can't, you can't be that kind of king. That's what happened in the text here. They said, that, that's, that's really not going to work. I'll illustrate this way. I want you to imagine, if you could, for just a moment a presidential debate, which I know is triggering, but this, this is, so feel free to, for just a moment, remind yourself of all just the toxicity on the left and on the right in the past few presidential debates, right? The virtue signaling, the, like, the low blows, the flexing, the posturing, the sort of putting down your opponent in an attempt to put yourself on a pedestal. And I, so I want you to imagine two candidates sit and there's a moderator 
And the moderator turns to one of the candidates and he says, why are you the one we should put in charge? And this candidate does all the standard stuff. Well, I'm smarter. I know what people want. This person's a tyrant. I have a ton of experience and accomplishments. Just look at all, just et cetera, just all of that. And then the moderator turns to the other candidate and says, tell us why you ought to be in charge. And this candidate says, I'm the most gentle person you've ever met. It's like Jesus, 2024, right? We would, we would laugh. We would consider it to be a joke, right? Because that's not the way, that's not the way leadership works. That's not the way that we get things done in the world. You need to take, if you want something, if you want to lead, you have to rule by force. The, the means justify the end, right? And that's what we talk about when we talk about leadership, when we talk about those who ought to be in authority. But let me just remind you that Jesus has presented himself in a different way. And I would like to suggest that it actually works because leaders rise and leaders fall. They are heroes one day and villains the next. They die and some are remembered and most are not. But Jesus, this poor kid from the country, in first century Palestine, is in fact the most famous person to ever live. And the best-selling book of all time is, is all about him. And he has unprecedented influence and impact for over 2,000 years. Kings and peasants have bowed to him for millennia. And he would say, the thing that you need to know about the way that I rule, the thing about me that sets me apart from every other ruler, I'll put it in a word for you. It's my gentleness. And that's offensive and silly to us. But he's different. He's different. His kingdom is different. His ways are different. But make no mistake, he is the king. The Greek word used here in verse five, I want to talk about this word gentleness. The Greek word is the word praus. It's difficult to translate, but it gets after the idea of gentleness. Sometimes it's translated as meekness, which is kind of a dirty word in our culture. Um, sometimes it's translated as humility, but really it gets after this idea of gentleness, which is properly defined as strength under control. And so we would accurately describe a person um, who's gentle. We would say something like, he's a gentle giant. Sometimes we use the word gentle to describe like a baby, but like we, wouldn't, we shouldn't say that's a gentle baby because that baby is, is frail. It's not strong. But gentleness gets after the idea of one who has strength but has chosen tenderness. One who, who could coerce, but has decided to come alongside. One who has power, but who has chosen to lay it down. One who could rule with violence, but who has chosen a different kind of way. And this is the way Jesus has chosen to rule. And despite what you've heard by the most recent podcast by 
ex-Christians or by what you've heard in your Instagram feed, Jesus is doing quite well ruling that way. Yes, he is often misrepresented by his followers, but right now as we speak, billions of people gather throughout the world to worship the gentle king. And in fact, he sits in the throne, the right hand of God and all of heaven praises his name. So it is possible that what he does actually works. Yeah, okay. He's the king. He's the gentle king. And I want to I press deeper into that because his gentleness is not sort of like a niche thing that he's like, it's kind of like a trick I do to get people to like me. It comes from his very being. It comes from his very heart. I want to talk about that as we close this morning. That word that we talked about um, for gentle, that word praus is used, it's really only used like three or four times in all of scripture. Matthew uses it most of the time. He uses it three times in his, in his gospel. And so the other place he, he uses it is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And I want to invite you to turn there right now. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. While you turn there, I want to let you know something. There was once a preacher named Charles Spurgeon. He is referred to as the Prince of Preachers. He is the best. I've literally never preached a sermon um, to you and not read his manuscript on the same text, okay? Okay, so it's not, it's not plagiarism. He's very, very dead, and I'm giving credit to him right now. But Spurgeon once looked at the passage that we're about to read and he said, there's one, he commented on this and I want you to think about this. He said, one time in all of the gospels, Jesus tells his disciples about his heart. What do you think about that? Yes, Jesus shows, he displays his heart many times through what he does, but there is a moment in the gospels where Jesus says, I want to tell you, what my heart is, okay? Before I read it, I want to remind you, the heart in biblical language is the animating center of a human being. The thoughts, desires, and deeds of a human person flow from their heart. It's not a part of them, it is them. So Jesus is saying, this is my heart, and I want to read this to you today. Come to me, he says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Here it is. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the heart of Jesus. His heart is for you. His heart is towards you. If you could even just imagine the way that Jesus comes to you, picture him on a donkey. I, this is an interesting thing. I'd never thought about this. Most of the imagery when, when it talks about the triumphal entry is, is Jesus coming in on a single donkey. But Matthew tells us there's a donkey and it's mom. And that's sort of a weird thing, but like, that's like, somebody commented on this and, and they said, think about how tender Jesus is. 
He's announcing that he's king. But he's so thoughtful, he, he won't even separate a young donkey from its mom. But think of the tenderness and the gentleness of Jesus. This is the way he comes to us. And the question is, the question for every person of, in all time is will we come to him? He says, are you weary today? He says, are you carrying a burden that's just too heavy? And we know what the burden is. The burden is sin and death. We carry it around. Many of us are plagued by a lie that, and the lie is this. This is what the lie is. The lie is that if we were to come to Jesus, he would reject us. The lie is that if we turn to him, that he would turn away from us. But the same Jesus who said these words we just read about, his heart of gentleness, also said this in John 6, verse 37. Jesus says this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me, plagued by the lie that I would not receive them, Jesus would say, I've got really good news for you. Around here, we call that the gospel. And it is an invitation to you. If you've never heard of Jesus, this is an invitation to you today to to lay your burden down and to come to him. And so that is what I want to invite you to today. If if you've never heard of this Jesus or you've never responded to him in faith, the invitation for you is to take off your burdens and to hand them to him. And what I also want to say is that there, there are many of us who have walked with Jesus for a significant portion of our lives and we continue to walk up to him and take the burden off of the donkey, the proverbial, you know, off the donkey and put it back on ourselves. And I think that to you, Jesus would say, please stop doing that. I took that. Jesus would say, that, that's, that's for me to carry. A couple of months ago, I guess it was like three months ago now, I, um, I went to our elders and I asked them for a break. Like, can I take a break here? It's been a hard couple years, okay? It wasn't like total, like, like, it wasn't like a catastrophe or anything like that. But I, I went to them and I asked, I said, can I take like a sabbatical? Like, I'm not sure what that means, but can I take one for a little bit of time? And, uh, and they were kind enough to let me do that, okay? And so I, I took a break because I felt like what Jesus was saying was, you need, you need to rest in me. I need, you to, I need you to take a season where you stop working for me and learn how to rest in me. And it was wonderful. It was powerful. And something happened, something like, I remember a very specific day in my, in my, um, in my Sabbath 
that was, that was really profound. I've, I'd, when I went away, I, I took this book, and this is a recommendation, okay? Um, this book is called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and for Sufferers. And I was reading this book throughout the time, and in, the, and in this book, it's really where a lot of some of these thoughts in the sermon came from today. It's about the heart of Jesus for, for anyone who comes to him. And so I... Uh, I was reading this book one day. I dropped my car off at this place that like cleans it. And uh, it's like a car wash, but then they like spend some time cleaning it. And, um, and I took this book into uh, to Hefe, you know what I'm talking about, the restaurant. It's like lunchtime. So it's like me and like a bunch of people like having lunch together. And it just felt like it was a bunch of real estate deals that were happening. Like it was like, I felt out of place. I'm on sabbatical. I'm in a corner booth by myself. And... Uh, And I read these words. I'd like to read them to you today in closing. Is that okay? The author is talking about this reality that Jesus will not and cannot cast anyone out. comes to him. He says, fallen anxious sinners are limitless in their capacity to perceive reasons for Jesus to cast them out. We are factories of fresh resistances to Christ's love. Even when we run out of tangible reasons to be cast out, such as specific sins or failures, we tend to retain a vague sense that given enough time, Jesus will finally grow tired of us and hold us at arm's length. And then he writes of this sort of imaginary conversation that I think every one of us to some degree have had with Jesus. It goes like this. No wait, we say cautiously, approaching Jesus. You don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus responds. You know most of it, we say. Sure, certainly more than what others see, but there's a perversity down inside of me that is hidden from everyone. Jesus says, I know it all. Okay, well, the thing is, we say, It isn't just my past, it's my present. And Jesus says, I understand. But I don't know if I can break free from this anytime soon. Well, that's the only kind of person I'm here to help. We say, the burden is heavy and heavier all the time. Then let me carry it. We say, it's too much to bear. He says, not for me. We say, you don't get it. My offenses aren't directed towards others. They're against you. Then I am the one most suited to forgive them. But the more of the ugliness in me you discover, the sooner that you'll get fed up with me. And what does Jesus say? Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So like, I'm in Hefe, the realtors are eating lunch, all of them, and um, I'm ugly crying in a booth. Like I'm literally sitting in a booth by myself reading that book, and I'm like weeping uncontrollably. The the waitress comes, I was like, waitress, she's like, yes? And she's like, do you need water? I'm like, probably, probably, probably more napkins too. Like, can, can I get some help in here? And... That message from Jesus, come to me, 
If you're weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. And when we say, when we say no, you'll cast me out. And he says, I can't cast you out. I want to suggest this this morning. A one, I guess, tangible response that each of us could have. I think that that message of the heart of Jesus can only be received if we stop striving and take a rest. For me, it was this sort of month-long sabbatical. And I know, you're like, pastors don't work. You guys can take a Sabbath and call it a work day. We get it. Like, I, I know what you're thinking. But there is always the opportunity to rest for the disciple of Jesus. He tells us, just like, take a few hours to come away with me and learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's the invitation to Jesus. What would it look like in this Lent season? Which is not just a morbid, introspective look at your sin. It's an opportunity to stop. To stop justifying ourselves. And simply receive his grace. What if you did that? What if we did that? What if we invited that into us? It would transform us. The gentleness of Jesus would transform us and we would become like him. Final verse, Matthew 5, chapter 5, is the one other time that that word gentleness is used in the Gospels and it simply says this, blessed are the gentle for they shall inherit the earth. Do you want to become like Jesus? I know you do. Then we receive his love into our lives, into our hearts. We receive all of life in his kingdom as grace. We receive his gentleness. We receive the reality that he cannot and will not cast us out. And, and that reality transforms us together. Each Sunday we come to the, we come to the table of communion to rest, to stop striving, to stop convincing ourselves that we ought to atone for our own sins. We, we simply come and we lay them down at the altar and we take on the body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ spilled for us. It's rest and each week we're invited to do it, to receive from him because he will never turn us away. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for showing us your heart by giving us your son. And what a gift it is to know him. What a gift it is to be seen by him. What a gift it is to be the recipient of his grace. We receive him in faith today. As we worship, as we come to the table, as we sing, as we remind ourselves, Lord, fill us with your spirit, we pray. Speak truth to the lies that we, that we so often believe and help us walk in the light with you. In your name we pray, amen.